coming to church today. The message you're about to listen to came from a recent gathering at our church. Be encouraged as you enjoy this message. As we start this morning, I, I just want to, you know, every time a person does a service, every time a minister stands up, there's that moment where everybody settles, you know, that the some are being distracted about this. They're already thinking about whether or not the worship's going to go on later or who they're going to meet, who they're not going to meet, who's here, who isn't here, whatever. And I know that. And so there's that moment, there's that, those moments that we take where we actually make a personal, individual decision. As for me, I'm choosing right now to incline my ear. Incline. I'm going to lean into this so that I might receive something. I always think in Mark 4.24 in the Amplified, something that split my heart open some 33 years ago when I just heard, you know, Jesus said, it's the measure, remember, it's the measure of thought, measure, small measure, teaspoon size, shovel size, dump truck size, it's the measure, it's the measure of intention, it's the measure of leaning in, it's the measure of thought and study, what it says, Mark 4.24, it's the measure of thought and study that determines, in other words, when you hear, he said, you need to have ears to hear, because it's the measure of thought and study which you give to the truth that determines how much virtue and power comes back to you. So you have to learn how to intentionally listen and intentionally open your heart. The joy of God is knowing that he, you can speak, as a minister, you learn that you can speak one verse to 200 people, and 200 people are known. So I wanted to go to it. So I'm going to start right at verse 1. And I read all the way down, probably verse 8, if you're very familiar with it, and then we'll come back. James 1, Amplified Bible. <coughs> James, the servant of God, and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes that are scattered abroad among the Gentiles in the dispersion, greetings. Verse 2, consider it wholly joyful, my brethren. We all know what that says in King James, right? Count it all joy. We're going to come back to that again. Count it all joy. Consider it wholly joyful, my brethren, whenever you are enveloped in or encounter trials of any sort or fall into various temptations. Amen? Now, I know you being such holy people as you are, that all of you have this down pat already, don't you? That every single one of you, the moment you enter into a trial or a test, you go, hallelujah. Isn't it a wonderful moment I'm experiencing? <laughs> you know, and great joy just bursts forth in your, spot, in your heart. But listen to what, again, these scriptures were written by the Spirit of God. Considered holy, joyful, joyful. Considered holy, completely, completely. Considered completely, wholly joyful, my brethren, whenever you are enveloped in or encounter trials of any sort or fall into various temptations. Verse 3, be assured of something. He said, be assured and understand that the trial and the proving of your faith, faith is simply what you says you believe. Be assured and understand that the trial and the proving of your faith do something. They bring out of you endurance and 
steadfastness and a terrific thing called patience. Everybody say, I love patience. But then he goes on to say in verse 4 again, and in the King James says, but let patience have her perfect work, making you perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Amplified says, but let endurance and steadfastness and patience have full play. Let it run its limit. Let it have full play and run a thorough work and do a thorough work so that you may be people that are perfectly and fully developed with no defect, lacking in nothing. Now, you know, some of these verses, I mean, it's easy to say, yes, amen, hallelujah to it, but read it here. He's saying that there's something, maybe I just, before I read the rest of it, let me just comment on this. It's amazing, you know, I studied this over the years, and then I was, you know, I referred it when I came to the Bible schools and stuff that we taught, but count it all joy. The word count, it's an interesting word. It's a word that is clero, K-L-E-R-O, and then it's nomini, but it, it means to lead, to have authority over. And it says that we're to count we're to have authority in our lives to the point that we find ourselves full of this joy. But he's, and also the basic truth, again, of the word count, depending on which lexicon you look in, it does indeed mean to add up so that you have a sum of something, so that you actually know what you have. And he's saying all of this about the importance of you having joy in your life and having a revelation about of what trials and testings really are about. And again, you know, I need to walk slow through this, but at the same time, I just want you to catch it. He says count. In other words, he says basically count it all joy. Count it all. Add it all up to the authority and the strength and the leadership. See, one of the words there, it is, again, this word pleromenomai, but it, it means to let it have the authority that it's intended to have. In other words, let this authority produce in you what it's intended to produce. He says you need to count it all joy when you find yourself in diverse trials and temptations of your faith. And you know, this is one of the most basic teachings of Christianity, and yet it's one of the ones that, again, we let slip so easily. You know, Hebrews 4, let us fear lest we let any of these promises slip. And that's an analogy of having a little tin can, something full of minute holes that constantly just drip out. We don't realize that this is why it's so important to stay in fellowship. I guarantee you, I can tell you, I can name people, person after person after person after person, who once they begin to allow their hearts to grow cold, to grow cool, and they quit coming to church, they quit seeking fellowship, but slowly but surely they find themselves just simply empty. And when somebody's empty, they wind up having babies that they're not supposed to have. Yet, they wind up having relationships they're not supposed to be in. Yet, they wind up making financial decisions that they otherwise never would have made. But you know, it's just because we become basically runaways from a family home, from a house, from mom and dad, father, son, Holy Spirit. Because again, it's the fact of the matter is we. That world out there is full of hell. <laughs> Just that simple. I 
mean, you know, if you don't think we're nearing the end, the really, you know, the Bible teaches seven last days, too, and we're in the seventh of the seven. And, you know, one of the major identifiers of the seventh of the seventh last days is that it will be as in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. But, I mean, you know, President Obama, I, I know people may disagree with me, but I have to say that man in eight years of presidency has actually destroyed almost 150 years of American historical righteous legislation. But now he's just made this, he's making it a presidential mandate that every junior school, I mean from the age of four and five upwards, every middle school, every high school, every college, that it be mandatory that they have transgender bathrooms. You know, that a person can, that a child of five should be able to choose whether or not he's male or female. You, you know, and of course that's the same thing is happening here. Do you, you, I, see, most of the body of Christ seems to be glazed over somehow. They don't actually understand the day we're living in. Woe unto them when all men call evil good and they call good evil. We that are in Christ are being named as people who are exclusive. We're not tolerant with this, that, and the other. We're evil. And we're and everybody else who has every kind of sexual orientation they want to have with dogs, ducks, geese, and people. I mean, it's insane. Uh, we're supposed to be super sweet and we're supposed to be tolerant. We're supposed to recognize all that. It's fine. We're so intolerant. My God, where's your sensitivity? No, <laughs> I'm sorry. But the day we're in is the day when we are nearing very, very quickly. I know that most of us have, quote, made a decision, an initial decision for Christ that are in this hall right now. But I guarantee you, you know, the days are out there right now. And they're coming as fast as a steaming locomotive where you're going to be challenged with the opportunity of what it really means to make a decision for Christ every day. I mean, in everything you face. Please know the Bible is true. The division is going to grow greater and greater and greater. The Lord knows them that are his. Not all Israel is Israel. You remember that verse. You know what he means. He says, just because you're in a church doesn't mean you're part of the church. The Lord knows those that are really his. The Lord knows those that are really his. This isn't being mean. This is just saying, you know, only you know how deep your decision is. But again, you know, we're not here to preach condemnation, but at the same time, we're in an hour where we can't fudge the truth as well, right? And we have to understand the Holy Spirit, his job is to convict. Initially, just convict us of the fact that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. But from that point on, once you're saved, your own spirit bears witness with the Holy Spirit that you are a son of God or a daughter of God. Your own spirit. So once saved, I might blow some of your mind here. This is not what we're teaching on. But once saved, the Holy Spirit no longer convicts you of anything. I can hear it. Oh, what did he say? Now, once saved, that's the only 
the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin because you believe not on me. Once you believe on him, that job of the Holy Spirit is done. But from that point forward, the indwelling presence of God within you by virtue of the new birth, your own spirit leads you. Right? Right? As many as are led by the Spirit, they are the sons or the weos of God. That word weos means adult sons, not just children. And this is a difference. You've heard me speak on it many times. While everybody may be a child of God, not everybody is yet a mature son of God. Yes, they're not a son or a daughter of God. The Greek's very clear with this stuff. So I'm just saying every day, you know, we need to challenge ourselves. I don't want, you know, I this morning even, or was it last night when Gene and I were praying for today's service? You know, I just, it strikes me every once in a while, and hopefully it strikes us all the time, but, you know, as a minister myself, been in this stuff over 30-some years now, and, and working with so many people and seeing so many ministers and so many people fall, uh, it is one of the most fearful things. It's a wonderful, beautiful thing. Paul says, I think he, I thank God that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. And Julie and I count, we're, we're grateful to God that he counted us faithful, putting us into the ministry. But at the same time, really understanding what it means to be a shepherd of people's souls. You know how freaky that really is? To recognize that it's my job to faithfully present the truth as God's word says it, not my opinion, not Facebook's opinion, <laughs> not, not, not Twitter's opinion, not any news station, not CNN, not Sky News, Fox News. In the latter days, the love of many will wax cold, he says. You know, their love will grow cold. This is what I mean. People don't realize that growth happens over a period of time. And people can grow negatively. They can grow cold. They lose their passion. They lose the fire of why they're here. They lose the vision of a man who actually died a horrific death, you know, so that we might be free. Amen. Well, it's true anyhow, whether you like it or not. But in the midst of all this, here we come. Now, if I can go back to the verses here. James, a servant of God, and of the 12 tribes scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, count it all joy. Count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations and trials of your faith. Count it all joy. And it, it means take everything you're going through, put a line under it, and let the sum of it equal joy. And that's what we all do perfectly, right? Amen? Right? I know Dom does. You do, Dom. Helen, how about you? You do that. You probably do that while you're doing Zumba, right? You count it. You count it all joy. But think about that. Is God some kind of a masochist or a sadist? Mas sadist, not masochist. Is he up there in heaven saying, you're, I know that you're enveloped, literally, you're surrounded, you're, you're going through all manner of trials right now and testings of your faith, I want you to be full of joy. Hallelujah. You know, and he's bumping Michael and Gabriel on one side. I said, check them out. They're all trying to be full of joy down there while they're going through hell. I mean, you know, God's up there laughing about it. Yeah, check them out. No. The, the word joy, the simplest definition of the word joy, it means, quote, this is in five lexicons. It says, calm delight. Count everything up that you're going through. 
everything, anything and everything that you're going through, and allow it to produce in you, because of knowledge, your knowledge of Christ, a place where you find yourself at a place of calm delight. I, you know, I've been at this stuff for so many years, and it's still amazing to me. I, it's, I think just, you know, when I just spoke two weeks ago and I talked about your thoughts again, I remembered how I shared that the average human being, they say, has between 12,000 and 60,000 thoughts a day. And 90% of those thoughts are negative, and 95% of those thoughts are repeated every day. And how God wants us to learn how to become an observer, not to identify with your thoughts instantly, but to understand that your thoughts aren't fact. To understand that your thoughts aren't facts. But because you, if you don't, know if you haven't been taught about the taught the truth about thoughts you interpret thoughts as being fact anyhow don't we and i love this one article i read it said that you learn to need you need to learn to be an observer when the thought comes you need to see it from a distance now that to me is powerful because like my own testimony, you know, all of you have a testimony, but, you know, my own testimony because of all the stuff I was involved in, you know, you know, well, you know some of it. But, you know, you know, my, your mind before you know Christ is trained, you're brought up, this is the only stuff you're surrounded with, the filth of the world or whatever. And so you had no knowledge of it. So when you thought something, you acted upon what you thought because to you the thoughts were facts. I think it works this way, so I'm going to work it this way. And it's only when you come here that, you know, to church, rather, to, to Christ, that you begin to hear those familiar verses that are so simple to quote at first. You know, my mind needs to be renewed to the Word of God. And we all quote it, but, but we don't really understand. Paul said, this is, you know, this is a command. Basically, he said, don't be conformed to this jive world. He said, but be you transformed by, um, by the... Remember the word metamorphosis or metamorphosis? But be transformed by the metamorphosis of your mind, the way you think. You've got to learn to change the way you think. Otherwise, I guarantee you, you will continue to conform to the world. I shared it many times. I think when we were talking earlier with somebody who spoke service that I was reminded about how when I used to minister in the prisons a lot, I'd talk to some of these guys, and I said, you know, I can visit you next year, and you can be in exactly the same way, situation. I can visit you the following year, and you can be in, exact, and be in, exact, be in exactly the same situation. But I said, or, or, I said, you can actually make the individual choice to really man up and give yourself just, a, I said, give nine months of your life. Just give nine months. Give a year of your life to God, to studying this Bible. Make a decision. Just read it. You don't even have to study it per se. Just make the decision to read this book every day, every morning, every night. Just, just start with five minutes. See, I say that to cheat because I know if anybody starts with five minutes, after a while it gets good to you, and five minutes goes to 15 minutes, and 15 goes to 50, and so forth, because it just gets good to you. But, you know, it's so tough when you, I mean, and we've all had to go through it. You know, I've been on this 33 years now. 
And, you know, I remember how I thought when I first heard the sermons. To me, they were just teachings and I want that I wanted to say, well, yes, okay, because they tell me it's the Bible, so yes, okay, I will agree that that's the Bible. But, I mean, it wasn't, you know what I mean, nothing had been changed in me. I, I was just, instead of going to some philosophy class, I was going to a Bible class, or, you know what I'm trying to say. But, in my case, like I said, it was the grace of God. I was forced, remember, by the courts, by the California Department of Corrections, and by the courts in California, I was forced by God's grace to go to a Bible training center where five days a week, four hours a day, I was taught the Bible by some of God's very best. I was forced to do that by God's grace. I was paroled into it out of the penitentiary to go to that. And that was wonderful. But then the very next year, I chose to go to another Bible training center for another nine months. So for two years, Rod was baptized, plunged, dipped, <laughs> you name it. I was, I was put in a situation where five days a week, four hours a day, I was being taught this Bible by some of the very best men and women on planet Earth. I mean, that's, that's a blessing. And then on weekends, not, not counting weekends, so I mean at least 20 hours a week, I was just pumped with this, being built into the truth of the New Testament, what God has done in Christ. And to say the least, it changed me. Again, you know, I shared some of the stuff, but forgive me, it's my testimony. It's the only, I, what I, it's the only thing I can talk about, but you know, how, where was it? I just, somebody else asked me just the other day. You know, I had three parole officers, and they, like I said, I, oh, I know it was the last Sunday. Was it last Sunday or the Sunday before? No, it was last Sunday when we had Cindy. And I realized that it was 40 years to the day. 40 years to the day where my parole officers told my sisters that Rod Anderson will spend the rest of his life going to the penitentiary because of the level of crime and violence he was involved in. I mean, it was 40 years ago. And see, that... That still blows my mind. Anybody who's been involved in the deaths of your brother will spend the rest of his life going in and out of prison or that he'll die quick, die early. And then again, Mike said, the parole officer said again, uh, but, and my sister Sandra said, well, how about, she said, you, you said 98, 93%, whatever it was, she said, she, and my sister said, well, what, how do those other 3% get free from this, and they go in there, and uh, another, one of my other parolists, Mike Willis, is the one who said, well, he said, they seem to get off, they seem to get off on some kind of a Jesus kick. This was a, Cal this was a parole officer for the California Department of Corrections. They seem to get off on some kind of a Jesus kick. I will never, ever, ever forget that, because that's what happened to me. By God's grace, I was paroled out of a place sent to a place where I taught the Bible five days a week, not counting church on the weekends, three to four hours a day. And as I jokingly say sometimes, that's exactly what happened. They said they get on the Jesus kick, and I tell them, that's right, Jesus kicked me right out of darkness into light. <laughs> and, and it, but it's the truth. So I feel that, again, to say, you see, nobody, no minister can force you 
to do what it takes to be free. But like I used to talk to these guys on death row and stuff in different penitentiaries in America, I used to tell them, you know, I don't care what the situation is, the God I serve works miracles. The issue is, if you want to be free, it's not whether or not you want to be free. If you want to be free, the way I'll know that is that you will do what it takes to be free. If you don't, if the solution is set before you, let me tell you, when something's set before you, you don't recognize it as a solution. All you do is hear it with hope. You don't hear it with faith. You have to believe somebody. But, see, because of what I went through, I'd speak, I spoke to him and I said, if I can show you a way to be free, but the issue is not whether or not you'll nod your head and say yes to the issue. This is what I've learned. If you actually want to be free, you do what it takes to be free. Or else you don't want to be free. If you don't do what it takes to be free, what you're actually saying by your life is, I don't really want to be free. I'm too busy enjoying the world. And see, that's where it comes to where, again, you do have to man up. And if I dare use the word woman, you have to woman up. I don't know how that works, but you have to woman up. You have to woman up. But I'm just saying, nobody, no minister, you can't wait to come to church where there's a super dude up here that waves a magic wand over you and he has a special something where he goes, your troubles are over forever. Dr. Cole used to call that magic wand theology. No, we jump into this and we actually make some decisions to believe that this stuff is true. There's something, jumping back to this, forgive me for running off that rabbit trail, but there's something amazing about this revelation of God in Christ and his constant speaking to us about learning how to have a calm delight, how to be separated from our thoughts, how to create space, how to create separation from the thoughts, quit identifying with the thoughts, and understand that the truth is different than the thoughts. If you have thoughts that are contrary to the truth, then you take truth and you bring down the imaginations that are against the knowledge of God. Right? But that's your job, not mine. But he says, count it all calm delight. Now, you know what, you know, what do you do with, how do you count it all calm delight? Let me tell you, you've got 15 months to live or 18 months to live, you know, like they told me and like they told other people. It's a choice. Is God crazy? <laughs> or just possibly, is God wiser than you, even you, even you? He said, in the midst, I don't care what you're going through, he said, I want you to add everything up, and I want you to understand the power of remaining calm. And that only happens again when you actually, actually understand that these scriptures are more powerful than just words we quote, that God is for me. He will never leave me. He really won't. Therefore, I am never alone. Never, never alone. He tried to get your attention. I saw you trying to sleep back there. But he will never leave you alone. And again, that's so basic because everybody can say, well, I know the Bible says he'll never leave me and expect me. But again, I, there's... A, I'm just repeating myself. There's all the difference in the world between quoting it and believing it. 
getting to the place in life where you go, it's okay. Hallelujah. And when it, because it, essentially what God does through the death and resurrection of Christ is one of his main intents is to deliver you from what I call the panic syndrome. In other words, when something comes up going, oh my God, I'm, you know, all my whole world is going to collapse. All hell is breaking loose. My life is over. Your life isn't over. Your life isn't over. As long as there's breath in your lungs, you have miraculous power right there with you to bring you life, to bring you deliverance, to bring you into a place of absolute peace in the midst of the storm. I mean, you know, don't you care that I'm perishing? <laughs> Does it upset you that in your most freaked out moment, Jesus is asleep? Jesus is so shook up about what you're going through that he has to be woke up. What's happening with him? Oh, peace be still. <laughs> Julie, when we first learned that Greek, that the Hebrew, no, Greek, I think it's the Hebrew word for when Jesus said, peace be still, the word was sheket. I don't know how it's spelled. It's like S-H-E-K-E-T. It basically means shut up. Jesus looked at the storm and said, sheket. So Julie, for months afterwards, she'd go, shut up, check it. I'd be in another part of the house, and she'd go, check it. And, then, and I knew something was coming at her, you know. That. But that's what you have to learn when wrong thoughts come. Check it. Shut up. I choose the word of God. I choose the word of life. I'm going to count it all joy. I'm actually going to somehow, somewhere, have the revelation that whatever I'm going through, it's not going to kill me. Hallelujah. I mean, there's so much we could teach on. Romans 5, experience worth, worth with hope, and hope maketh unashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Ghost. Just ask you if faith worketh experience. That everyone, everybody in here, I'm not even going anywhere where he's going to go. Everybody in here at some moment in time has been in a situation in the past where you saw no way out. It was going to kill you. They came to us once many years ago, and God, we got blessed with a holiday. We never had enough money to have a holiday, and some people blessed us with a holiday to go stay with friends in, in, uh, on, the, on the coast of Spain. Gosh, what was 25 years ago? 20, something like that. We'd never really had a honeymoon, and so we, we got blessed, and we were, our finances, were, we hardly had any money at all, and they were really, you know, the mortgage lenders were coming down on us. It was tough. We didn't know how bad it was, but I always remember, we get paid to go, we get blessed to go away and stay in this nice villa in Spain that our friends own, and they were there, and they get let, loaned us their car, and Julie just loves the beach, and you know, I hate the beach, because this is not a beach body, hallelujah. But, because I, I love my wife, I suck it up a lot of times, and go out there, and I, I display, I display the great whiteness of the glory of God, you know. But anyhow, so we're out there for like two weeks, and I mean, Julie maximized every moment of tanning that was possible in a two-week period. Well, I did too, because I was with you, I know. I mean, there's tan, and then there's tan. I said all that to say, so we come home from our holiday, we literally pull up in front of our house, 
And there's a guy at the door knocking on our door who is the mortgage guy coming to repossess our house. And here we come out with suitcases. He's coming at us saying, you have no money. You know, your house is about to be taken away from you. And you're coming back. Evidently, you've been on a bit of a holiday, Mr. Anderson. <laughs> you know, it was, it, was, it was one of those moments that you never forget. And, <laughs> you know, it, you would, it's, no, you would, I'm glad you weren't there. But long and short of it, God worked an incredible miracle. Actually, Julie got in the guy's face at one point and said, take our house. We don't like it anyhow. <laughs> that's, what, that's what she said. She said, take it. She said, but you're crazy if you do because we're going to pay it. We pay our way. We're going to pay it. We don't know how right now, but we're going to pay it. But if you're that serious, take it. And uh, only my baby can do that. I was upstairs praying, oh, God, oh, God. <laughs> but I just mean in the middle of a situation, I'm just saying like all of you, we've been in situations where at the moment there was simply no, we were going to lose the house 100%. We had nothing. We had nothing. We're in a great neighborhood where people next door, kids are burning cars up in the car park area. It was really one of those choice neighborhoods that you wanted to live in, you know. But I'm just saying, but, but God, all of us have been in situations that we saw no way out of. And see, this is one of the great things God wants to speak to people, and that's why Romans 5 says, again, faith worketh experience. In other words, at some point in your life, you have already experienced God bringing you out of something that you saw no way out of when you were in it. But here you are one day on the other side, looking back. Hallelujah. And he says, that's supposed to work hope in you, a joyful expectation of the future, because, hello, I've got great revelation for you. You, every one of you are in here at some point. Guess what? you're going to come into another opportunity that you will see no way out of. You came to church for good news, right? But this is why we derive hope from our fellowship with one another, but more than anything, from our fellowship with God's Word. You learn to count it all joy, knowing something. i got to wind this up. Maybe do the rest of it next week. You learn to count all joy because you you know something. That the trying, the trying of your faith, in other words, it's being weighed in a scale. This trial does show us where we are. Let me tell you, when the pressure's on is when we find out what we really believe. Amen. Like I said, with me in that doctor's office with Julie, when they said, Mr. Anderson, you've got about 18 months to live. You go, you either go, or you go, okay, that's the facts. Then Julie and I went home and looked at the truth. And you learn to hold on to the truth. I know it's simple. I don't know who said it many, many, many eons ago, but I heard it when I was first saved. He said, the Bible is so simple, but you need help to misunderstand it. And we have great theologians who do their best to confuse you. When actually, this stuff is simple. 
I mean, think about what the master says. Only believe. <laughs> Just believe. But the moment we hear that, we go, but, or I have a question, though. <laughs> uh, and we begin to reason against the reason of the Word of God. And so at some point, guys, I'm just, you know, I know this is a very, very familiar and simple teaching again. But you have to keep going back. You have to keep going back. You have to do what I've done, what anybody else has done that's come out on the other side. You have to keep going back and recognizing that this is my life. In this word, you find the very substance of life. And the more you continue to behold, as it were, in the word of God, the very face of Jesus Christ, the more you are transformed into the very image of the Son of God. Hallelujah. You, somehow that DNA of God begins to work in your DNA. And I mean, I've got to be careful what I say because it opens too many doors. You become one. You're not two. You become one. That, I mean, John 15, the Lord's real prayer, <laughs> that they may be one, even as we are one. That was his prayer. Right? Does anybody believe just possibly Jesus got his prayers answered? I would, hopefully you'd say yes. Let me just read the rest of it and then I'll shut up and we'll finish. And we'll talk about this next week. Okay. Verse 2 again. Consider it wholly joyful, my brethren, whenever you are enveloped in or you encounter trials of any sort. In other words, okay, Lord, help me to obey this. Whatever I'm going through, I'm not going to panic. I refuse, I reject panic. Amen? Just say that out loud. I reject panic. Amen. I reject panic. Consider it wholly joyful. I'm right, brethren. Whenever you are enveloped in or encounter trials or of any sort or fall into various temptations, verse 3, he said, be assured of something and understand Understand, comprehend, understand. Be assured and understand that the trial and the proving or the weighing of your faith is intended to bring out endurance and steadfastness and patience. But let patience, I'll just quote what the King James says, my brethren, let patience have its perfect work so that you might be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Amplified. But let endurance and steadfastness and patience have full play and do a thorough work so that you may be people perfectly and fully developed with no defects lacking in nothing. Patience. Let patience. So patience is something to say. If, if you do a study, I mean, if next week, like I said, I'll go back to it maybe. Hebrews 6.12 says, be not slothful, but be followers of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises of God. Faith and patience. It's interesting how the two work together. Faith basically is what? It's releasing your belief in something, and we know we do that by the words of our mouth. 
the Greek word for faith is pistos, which is masculine or male in the Greek. Patience, there's two Greek words for patience in the scripture. One is hupomene, H-U-P-O-M-E-N-E, hupomene. The other is macrothumia, which literally means long-minded. But the word here means, it's hupomene. And I'll show more of it next week. But faith and, pa- faith and patience, and according to Hebrews 6 now, but it says through faith and patience. All over scripture you find faith and patience together. And it's interesting because, again, faith is the word pistis, which is masculine. Patience is, again, hupomene, which is feminine. And the way, like, uh, one of the best old illustrations I heard all those years ago still works for me today. Faith is what opens the door to receiving God's blessing. But patience is the doorstop that keeps the door open so that the blessing can actually get to you. Hallelujah. Did you hear that? But also it's a revelation of male and female, masculine and feminine, pistis and hupomene, masculine and feminine. When you get a man and a woman together, often you have the opportunity for some kind of creation called new life. And it's the same truth here. God, it's funny, it's not funny, it's just Bible truth, it's theology, it's, but it's just good, it's good, no, no, it's good Bible theology. It, when you get trees together, they produce the life that it's intended to produce. Let me just read it, and I, I really am going to stop, because if I keep going, I'll just mess everything up. If any of you is deficient in wisdom, verse 5, let him ask of the giving God, and this is where we'll start next week. If any of you is deficient in wisdom, let him ask of the giving God. What kind of God? Who gives to everyone stingily and grudgingly and really is upset about having to do it in the first place. No, again, it's a revelation of who he is. I love it in the Amplified. If any of you is deficient in wisdom, let him ask of the giving God who gives to everyone liberally and ungrudgingly. This is the part I love the most. Always there. Without reproaching or fault-finding. And we still have this sense, don't we, so many of us, that when we come to God in prayer, that he's going to be looking back at us about doing this. I know what you did last week. I saw what you were thinking about two days ago. And we're going to see as we go into more of this that that's not even who he is. Because of the blood of Christ, you are pure. You stand holy before your God. Nancy Honeycree, Nancy Hennigbaum, one of the very first, when I first got saved right back then, before dirt, one of the very first Christian musicians I ever heard. It was just her name, Honey. That's what the name, Hennigbaum means Honeycree in German. And the album is of all her singing is called Honeycree. And she had this one song called Clean Before My Lord I Stand. And it's just a beautiful thing. And that's how God sees us. So anyhow, it says, if any of you is deficient in wisdom, let him ask of the giving God who gives everyone liberally and ungrudgingly, without reproaching or fault finding, and it will be given him. Only it must be in faith that he asks, with no wavering, no hesitating, no doubting. The one who wavers and hesitates and doubts is like the billowy and surge out at sea that is blown hither and thither and tossed by the wind. For truly let not such a person imagine that he will receive anything he asks for from the Lord. For being as he is a man of two minds, hesitating, dubious, irresolute, he is unstable 
and I'm reliable and I'm certain about everything he thinks, feels, or decides. Hallelujah. So next week, we'll come back, we'll talk about these verses and talk about what it means to be single-minded and really learn how to recognize uh, maybe areas that you didn't even know were there that are keeping the promises of God from really happening. Because you're, you're on the books for inheriting everything that he's paid for. Amen? We just have to get an alignment. Christian, the Christian experience is just about coming into alignment with the way we think. We begin to change the way we think and act. Amen? Stand up with me. And worship team, if you guys can come back. Hallelujah. We believe you've really enjoyed this message. For further information, visit www.commonwealthchurch.org and feel free to join us on any Sunday.